Hey everybody, Jeff here with the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream and tonight with co-host Jeff Babineau, we are going to be diving into Beyond Oak Island. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Great, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, this has been a, a, a heck of a week. This is the third show in a row, a uh, third night in a row. And uh, it, it's been uh, it's been great. I mean, everybody's like, "How can you do that?" I said, "I don't know. I just make it happen, right?" So <laughs> it's all the huge money you're making, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it's all the piles of cash I keep dragging in. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, folks, I tell you what, we've got a great show for you tonight. We are going to be talking about Beyond Oak Island, episode number nine of season three, the cash, the lost cash of Cornwallis. And this was on uh, just last uh, Tuesday night, right after Oak Island was on, as you well know. And uh, they had, a, you know, in, that's what I love about the Beyond Oak Island show is the simple fact that we get to, I get an education. Almost every single show that has come on, whether it be the very first one with our Christian Roper, our friend Christian Roper, who was talking about John Lafitte, uh, the privateer, all the way up till tonight's show uh, where we have, or we're going to be talking about this again. I heard Cornwallis. I heard of him. I didn't know much about him. Now I'm getting an education. Having a little beverage tonight from, uh, this is out of my, my special cup, uh, Uper cup that was uh, uh, given to me. Uh, and this is, they, this came from Jess Grolo. Uh, Jess and her husband, Mike, who've been on, both of them have been on Beyond Oak Island. I got to meet them up in Escalante, Michigan, and uh, and I then I got to I go went over to a, a craft show that Jess was working, and she gave me that cup, and her and Mike both signed it, and they are with Blue Laser Engraving, and she does all kinds of work. She does a lot of work for Rick uh, Lagina, and so yeah, so Blue Six, I'm sorry, Blue Six Laser Engraving, and that's uh, Jess Grolo, and thank you so much, Jess, for the Uper Cup that. I enjoy so much. All right. I tell you what, let's let's get into this. And we have our very special guest. I'm going to bring him on with us right now. Matt Howell. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, gentlemen. I get to hang out with uh, Jeff Squared. And that's not a, a <laughs> not either of you, gentlemen. Yeah, I know. So. Yet, and there's a Jeff in the house, too. Jeff is usually out here. I don't know. I haven't seen his name yet. There's a yeah, Jeff's out there in the chat. So we got the trifecta uh, of Jeff oh, wow. for you tonight. Yeah. Purple yeah. threat. Yeah, right on, right on. No, it's great to be here, guys. I super uh, appreciate you guys having me on and uh, the invite to, to come and hang out for a little while and chat everything treasure hunting, uh, which yeah. is one of my absolute loves in the world. So, yeah, speaking of which, how did you get started? I mean, I know you've been doing this for a while, you've been treasure hunting, you're a firefighter. Uh, so, thank you for your service, by the way. Um, that that's that that goes above and beyond uh being a first responder the things that you guys have to deal with and i cannot thank you enough for that service so well i appreciate um, that i'm just lucky to be able to have it as a profession and uh mm -hmm. be able to serve my community um but yeah the uh you know it's interesting uh, i've always been a uh lover of history so to speak and um it, it's it's interesting i live in central virginia um, and what I really consider the epicenter of American history, um, whether it was the landing of Jamestown all the way through Cornwallis, the American Revolution, uh, the great bloody struggle, um, 
to maintain our union of the American Civil War all the way up through, um, you know, all the great presidents that came from Virginia and uh, so love this beautiful Commonwealth that we're in. So I've always been in, interested in history, but growing up, I live in a very area, uh, area heavy with sev- American Civil War activity. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the county that I live in, uh, we have about four or five major in- engagements. We have, um, we have a number of cavalry skirmishes. We have the Battle of Beaverdam Creek, the Battle of Gaines Mill, Battle of Topotomy Creek, which all culminated in my county at the Battle of Cold Harbor, where you have about 118,000 federal troops and about um, 78,000 Confederate troops. Lee and Grant side by side face-to-face during the Overland campaign. So when I was growing up, I always saw these guys with these big clunky metal detectors walking around fields, kind of, you know, lumbering around and, you know, in the spring or fall, and you'd see them out digging up holes, and I never knew what they were finding. Um, But I was always interested in it. So over the course of life, that kind of – those dreams move and change – I graduated high school here and and I was a young kid and I didn't really have a purpose in life. So I had uh, once traveled to Yellowstone National Park and I thought, you know what, let me let me fill out an application. And sure enough, these folks were like, oh, yeah, you'd be great. Come work. Come work with us. (laughs) Nice. So I spent what I call my college years um, metal, not metal detecting, but living in Yellowstone National Park, progressing through the, um, the hotel system. And then working for the the uh, fire department and the national park service, wow. and then and then um, me and my my girlfriend who became my fiance and now my wife, at the time we decided we wanted to return to Virginia uh, because we wanted to be super wealthy. So I told her I'll be a fireman and you be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have all the money. <laughs> in the world (laughs) yeah how'd that work out for you (laughs) oh you know it's not uh it's not that uh monetary uh of a gain that i thought it would be yeah um but you know hard work by the way for both of you (laughs) yeah but it's beneficial in in other ways other than than money so that's been uh been really awesome but returning back to virginia with those dreams i kind of realized like I'm back here where I grew up. I knew a few places and uh, picked up a metal detector. And that's kind of what started it. Um, Stopped out in my parents' front yard. Um, At the time, we were living between my parents and her parents' house, being newlyweds and building our own home at the time. And uh, I got a beep on my metal detector and I picked up my first musket ball from the American Civil War. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Um, I remember where I was, what, what the ground smelled like. And I was like, it was like, I was hooked. Like, (laughs) you know, like it was, it was that instantaneous, um, want and desire to go and explore. And if this is in my yard, what's in this yard beside it? And the next one, the next one. Um, so that's kind of how, how, yeah, it it caught me. Right. It's Mm -hmm. uh, any great story or legend. And, um, and it, it progressed over the years um, because I always in, in who I am and where I've been and what I've done, I've always wanted to do just a little bit more or be mm-hmm. like the next level of whatever craft, whether it's 
firefighting or, you know, learning about national parks or history. I've always wanted to do just a little bit more. And that got me into meeting the guys that, that you guys saw on the show, Brad and Ross and, yeah. and, you know, what, uh, over the Dallas, years, uh, yeah. Dallas. Yeah. We'll talk about Dallas too. Um, <laughs> yep. it, you learning, learning, you know, bumping into those guys and putting, putting this group together. And then the idea that maybe there's something bigger to look for than just a single musket ball, even though that single, single musket ball tells an incredible story. Yeah, maybe does. there's a bigger one to tell. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, we're getting a little bit of a crackle uh, when you talk, if you want to maybe okay. disconnect your uh, headset and plug it back in real quick, just to see if, when you're talking, we're getting just a little faint of a crackle. How about, uh, I think I hear it. No, it's still there. All right, yeah, how about now? There. Still there? That's good. Let's, uh, we'll yeah, no, yep, flip. yep, I still hear it. All right, how about now? That's better. Yeah, I think we can work with that. So, yeah, you know, okay. and it's funny because, you know, that's the thing with Beyond Oak Island. As I mentioned at the beginning, was that we have the opportunity, or I do, during these uh, Beyond Oak Island episodes to really get some history. And that's what I really love about it. I, I love to learn. And when you're on the show and you were talking about Cornwallis, you were taking us through that history of him and some of the things that he had done and his group had done. You know, I mean, that group. Um, during the war, his his men, his soldiers, when they were coming through and how, how badly they were treating people. But, uh, you know, that's part of our history. And, and it's nice to be able to learn from that. And it's some of the other Beyond episodes that we've watched, again, metal detectors. Mm -hmm. We've had, you know, some of them like Donna McCauley. And Donna's in the, in the chat tonight. Donna has been on the, you know, the show and her and with um, uh, Gypsy Jewels. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they have gone out and they've done a lot of metal detecting with Maddie, but they, this is what they do as well. And so I've kind of gotten dragged into this too. I mean, I, I metal detected a little bit when I was younger, but now I, I went out and Gypsy got me all set up with a Garrett uh, metal detector. So I've got mine now. And of course, while I'm out, you know, you're, you're out in the yard, you're working stuff and I'm finding, you know, a horseshoe. I found a horseshoe with the nails still in it. And I found a bunch of matchbox cars and stuff. I dig up everything, by the way. I oh yeah, absolutely. Discrimination. I dig it all up. <laughs> Whatever it beeps, I'm digging a hole in the yard, you know? So but I know what you mean. You're thinking, I found all these things in my yard. What's in the neighbor's yard. So that's I, right. You know, and you have to, you, when you're out metal detecting, I had to ask you this before we get into the, the history of everything real quick, but when you're metal detecting, you've got to get permissions. You're not allowed to out, especially in your area, you're not allowed to go to parks and things like that, right? Without special permissions. Yeah. So no, all the parks around us, and I, I live in a fairly rural area. Um, there, there aren't any parks, obviously any national park within the United States or national battlefield or um, any of the, the national park service units, they're all off limits. Um, unless there's very, very special circumstance, and that circumstance is generally with an archaeologist. But yeah. here locally, we have to gain permission uh, with, with our landowners, and we have to tell them, you know, we tell them what we're doing, what we're looking for. And sometimes you're lucky and somebody says yes, sometimes they say no. Um, and that's just part of the game. Typically what I like to do is I like to find a network of people who, somebody who knows somebody so I can, say, hey, I, I know Bob down the street. He said you were a really cool guy, and 
you know, I like to look for things in the ground and mm-hmm. I like to pass those things along. And, but I also like to share that history with those people because, you know, they're all, it's only, we're only stewards of the things that we find. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's uh, a wheat penny from the 1940s or yep. that's a Spanish coin from the 1700s or maybe lucky enough for the 1600s. Um, yeah. You know, we have to look at the items that we find, whether it's Oak Island or Cornwallis's gold as being the stewards of, of those items until we're not here anymore. Right. And I think that's really important. And uh, I think it's kind of, you know, part of it. And that's how I use as part of my pitch when I, I try to get permission. Now for the rivers where I live and, uh, there is an actual permit uh, system that you have to obtain from the Commonwealth. Right. You, it's a uh, exp- exploration permit. You explain what you're looking for, where you want to look for it. And um, there is a whole permit system of reporting and sharing what you found. And then there's the opportunity for the Commonwealth to come in and purchase the item if they deem it's historical at what's considered fair market value. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, and the permit system has changed and recently changed. Um, but we work with the Commonwealth to try to make it the best for both parties. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because they are, they are a non renewable resource that the Commonwealth has that Virginia has. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because, yeah, I know, you know, some of the laws are like, uh, you know, I'm originally from the upper peninsula of Michigan and in all of Michigan with all the beach, the shoreline that they have, you know, the entire state is covered with shoreline sides. And yet there's only one about half a mile piece of sandy beach that you're allowed to metal detect on without a permit. And it's a, a half a mile of all these miles and miles and miles of beach you get that one speed, that one piece. And believe me, I was out there doing it too, you know, mm-hmm. finding a few things, but that's it of all the state. And, and, but each state is a little different now here in Florida, I'm in Florida now, but down here in Florida, you're allowed to go out and metal detect most areas of the, on the beaches in Florida, which mm-hmm. is really nice. That's where Gary Drayton's down there pulling up, you know, Bobby Dazzler's all the time from the sand. Yeah. And uh, if it's in the water now that changes things a little bit, but if it's on the beach, it's yours. It, so it uh, it does. I'm going to throw out a shameless plug, but uh, I got to 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 travel to Florida um, to New Smyrna, and my friend uh, Jim Tippett, he goes by Jimmy Crossbones on uh, YouTube. He um, he made quite possibly one of the largest beach finds of Spanish really? treasure, probably in the last 15 years. Wow. Um, it's really amazing. A, a number of escudos and stuff like that. So if you guys are interested in that kind of treasure, um, but yeah, the, he had the same thing. He, you can't touch the water and you can't go to a certain point in the dunes, mm-hmm. but everything else was a yeah. uh, fair, fair game fair for game. him. So really, yep. really cool stuff, wow. but you really got to know where you are and what you're doing, you yeah. know, yeah. just, just stay in the up and up and, you know, it's always, always better to ask for permission. You know, yeah, I don't, yeah, we don't play the, the ask for forgiveness game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not with that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. And, and, and when you're out there and you know, and I, you know, when you're digging, when you find something, you dig that plug out, uh, make sure you replace it. 
leave try to leave everything the way you found it you know don't leave holes in there in a guy's yard or take your trash with you take your trash with you exactly and that kind of stuff and then show them what you found so yeah that's that's just some of the etiquette of metal detecting and and it's in i know what you mean by the bug because it's it's bitten me too i love doing it and, <laughs> and uh that's why i travel around now so i'll be i'll be going out west to do some matter of fact gypsy jewels uh and i believe donna mccauley's is going to be there Don, donna mccauley will be there uh on march 17th where she's having an event in kerrville texas where i'll be out there for that uh on in march and uh and, and, and metal detecting and i want to get i want to learn from like if you know if i had the chance to work with you somebody who is a much more experienced than i am i would love to learn you know that's then that's what i hope to get from donna and gypsy out there in texas um is an education yeah you'll be in good hands yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, they'll take care of me well. All right. So, you know, you got involved in the history side of all of this and looking into uh, General uh, Cornwallis. And first of all, how did you hear about I know you talked about it a little bit on the show, but the thing I like about doing this podcast is because you know, you're filmed for hours and hours and hours, and we only see a very small piece of it on the TV show. That yeah. way, you can come on here and you can give us a little bit more information. So what what got you started looking into Cornwallis, and how did you think there was be a treasure to be found? So, you know, Virginia has such a rich history, uh -huh. um, whether, you know, whether it was pirates. I mean, Virginia has a small number of uh, privateers that operated uh -huh. off the coast. And they certainly traveled from from Nova Scotia down to Florida, uh, but you know that or you know war with uh, the rumors of Confederate gold, lost um, lost things like that. There's just a million of these things. So you know, oftentimes I find myself in this little bit of a wormhole where I'm searching through the internet looking for new new treasure ideas or maybe a story I haven't heard before. And, um, you know, I, I talked to somebody about it uh, recently and, you know, I thought about, you know, today with social media and how do we get our news and like, where would I go to really get some good news? And I thought, don't be an idiot. It's not on the radio. It's not on the TV. It's in a newspaper, yeah. right? It's the written word that in the early 1900s, 1880s, 1890s, you know, there are all these things that happen that we would laugh at as um, as happenstance events, but mm -hmm. were very big newsworthy things. I think I talked last night about, you know, I read this article about this lady's cows uh, falling into the river with a cart and how detrimental that would have been in 1890 when you oh, had a cart to get around. And that was newsworthy that this mm -hmm. cart and these cattle were lost in the river. Um, mm -hmm. Well, in that search, I found this article, and this news article of this guy, Von Wagman. Von Wagman happens to live in the county I live in. And he, uh, he says emphatically, I know where the lost cache of Cornwallis is. And, you know, maybe that was an oral handed down story from somewhere mm -hmm. else to him, or maybe it was 100%, like I, I can be, I, honest and say maybe it was a hundred percent false. Yeah, you know maybe Von Wagman was just a tall tale kind of guy, and he wanted something printed in the newspaper. Right. But 
really working with the guys, with Brad, Ross, and especially Dallas. Uh, my good friend Dallas has been a treasure hunter and a scuba diver and a history enthusiast for, you know, 50 years. Like, like let's go to the experts when we're talking about this stuff. And I kind of – I gave the ball to Dallas and I said, I have this. What do you really think about it? Uh-huh. And um, Dallas was like, well, you know, I had my own ideas, but I wanted somebody to go, you're crazy. There's no way this 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 works. Yep. And Dallas goes, there might be something to this. And that's all I needed. Um, so we really started to uh, to put put the pieces together and really examine the history of it uh, from the newspaper article. And, you know, that kind of just exploded this idea yep. of, of the Cornwallis treasure. I mean, and if you're really looking for really rich treasure stories, go find an old newspaper. You yeah, know? you know, and I've got a picture of that. That was I, I grabbed from the, uh, from the show. Um, you know, here was the, uh, what they were showing on the episode of the, uh, the, you know, talking about a, uh, concealed in a copper chest containing one, 1 million in bullion and diamonds Mm -hmm. estimated a value of 500,000. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right though. You have to do the research. You have to do the digging and where are you going to find it? You know, know, like you said, it's not going to be on social media. It's not going to be on the internet or whatever. It's going to be in the old print newspapers and things like that it's exactly where it is yeah and and when we went to this we really went to break down every aspect of the story like obviously in the in the initial story it says he goes to norfolk which is a local shipyard that would have been the closest and Mm -hmm. everyone laughs at him then he goes to baltimore which is the next largest port city probably at the time and he finds some some captain and he goes a half share they managed to go in on this. Um, but, you know, working with Ross, who, you know, Dallas is, Dallas is my written guy. He knows the books. He knows the ins and outs of all kinds of publications. You know, we heavily relied on the Cornwallis Letters. Cornwallis Letters is like six volumes. Um, wow. Where did you find those, by the way? They are available online. Um, oh, wow. We actually dove even into the British Museum, who retains all of the original Cornwallis papers. Oh, wow. Uh, they've since been transcribed into volumes, um, but some of them, like many older written English words, are, are difficult to, to kind of understand in modern times. Um, mm-hmm. But so Dallas found the volume when he was specifically in Virginia. We're talking about... Um, what he's doing, his letters to Clifton, which is his his commanding officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we really started breaking the story down. Ross really kind of dove into the copper-clad chest. Um, we really looked back into history, and we know uh, Braddock was fighting the French and Indians, and he was coming from England with an actual chest of British guineas, which would have been the gold coins of the era. Oh, okay. And that that's 1752. And he's coming, he has his chest of gold guineas that he is moving through Virginia up into Pennsylvania and he gets killed by the French and Indians. Supposedly he buries his chest, but it was known that, that Braddock 
actually took gold to try to convince the colonists to come fight with them. So, hmm. like, basically paid mercenaries. Right, yeah. You yeah. know, so wow. it would make sense that that Cornwallis would have some volume of currency, and even in his letters, he speaks about the need to print um, to print money versus giving coinage. Uh, precious metals, silver, and gold. Of course, gold is the biggest commodity in the colonies. Right. And yep. um, absolutely, did, the British did not want gold traded in any sort of currency form. Um, so, so, you know, Cornwallis speaks about this. So we think about that, and then we also think about his actions at the time. And that's how we kind of really start diving into the story. For us, we have we have been in this story for over two years. Wow. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks like, oh, you know, this is something you came up with for the show, but absolutely not, you know. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you don't look for these locations, you don't you don't put these this sort of of effort and work into it just for a TV show. You do it because you believe it's there and you want to find it. Right. Matt, is there any documentation on the British side that indicates that there was lost, uh, uh, lost expenditures that were, that they had given him, like lost funds, or, or that so? Had- so we know at Cornwallis surrender at Yorktown, he's destroying as much stuff as he can. We also know he is worried about in his travels. So while he is here uh, around my area, where our search area, he's chasing Lafayette. He calls him uh, the boy. And that's like a transcribed letter. And that's like, I'll, I'm going to get that boy. And uh, Lafayette, him chasing Lafayette ends up being his demise because they pin him in Yorktown. And um, we know that he, he is plundering and pillaging. I, I've never found an actual document that says he has these items. But from what we understand of what he's, he's doing to the colonies, to the colonists or the, the supporters of the revolution. It only makes sense. He's taking trophies of war. He's taking yep. valuables. He's taking anything he thinks is going to fund the revolution. Right. Wow. You know, that's, that's interesting too, that, um, you know, and again, it's that it's getting this history and obviously you've done your homework. You've been really digging into this and you have to, that's part of, it's part of treasure hunting, quite that's honestly. A- you know, you can't just go out and say, okay, I want to dig over here. You have to figure out where, and you need to know the ins and the outs and follow that person all the way along. Um, so you have a clue where to begin. So it's, it's, it's a lot of book work as well as the actual searching itself. One of the things that you had on the show, you know, you were talking about the um, uh, Pamunkey river and, you know, and, and looking at its tributaries and everything, and we know that rivers shift, and obviously that's where you were thinking that this, you know, it may be underwater now. There was a particular, was this a town that you were looking for that you figured that, tell us a little bit about that and this town that you were trying to find when you were underwater, you found the brick and stuff like that. But I mean, mm-hmm. what what led you to this particular spot and, and what town was it that you were looking for? <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you the town, <laughs> um, but I will tell you that the um, 
what we were looking for, we, we knew a general vicinity. So mm-hmm. we knew from, from a number of various different letters that he had been there at least once, more than likely two to three times, and at least the last time he was there that he burned the storehouses that mm-hmm. sat up against the bank. Um, we know that he he burned tobacco barns and cotton barns, um, or, or basically warehouses. So they would, they would collect all the tobacco, all the cotton to go back to England. And now they've, they put them in big warehouses right up against the, uh, the side of the river so that the ships could pull up and they could load it right up and, and go about their way. Um, and why did he do that? He did that because he's, he's burning currency of the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, valuables. Yep. yep. Valuables in any, uh, available trade. So, um, you know, we had looked for it. I had looked for it previously three to four times with Dallas and me and Dallas had always felt like we were in the area, but we can never pin down exactly where it was. Um, and knowing that Cornwallis was was in that area at some point in time, I felt like that was the best place to start. Start with a known before you go to an unknown. Right, right. Interesting. And I tell you, that's uh, one of the things that you do. You know, also in your treasure hunting is is a diver, and that you know I can't imagine. You know, you see, and I've had a lot of divers. You know, we've talked to a lot of different guys who dive on treasures. You know, down especially off the coast here in Treasure Coast here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Rob Westrick and of course Tony Sampson, and and I've got to meet Melvin Apt and all those guys working the Atocha. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. site. So you see them diving in the ocean, but, and that's one thing you're dealing with a lot of un, you know, uh, um, uh, deadly things out there and sharks and just the whole idea of being out there. But, but you guys diving in a river like that, first of all, you got You're dealing with the currents that I would imagine in some cases are stronger than what they would be in an ocean, but also you can't see anything and you got all that debris and trees and branches and everything else. <laughs> What the heck is it like to be diving in the blind in a place like that where there's all this junk in the water? I mean, that's got to be terribly dangerous. Um, I I guess we don't feel like it's dangerous. I know that it's there. Um, it's because you're younger, you know. Yeah, you know. Um, I probably will look back on some of my adventures and go, man, I'm surprised that went as well as it did. Um, <laughs> Yeah, You know, um, so for anybody watching, basically, I would say go into somewhere you've never been into, turn all the lights off, close your eyes and spin around in circles, mm, then try to yeah. find your way out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty similar to that. Um, if you guys saw the show, we do run helmets and helmet lights. The helmets mm-hmm. are simply so when you run into something, you're not going to knock yourself out underwater. You're bumping yep. into a tree. Or a yep. stick or branch. I mean, that's the one thing that really saves us. Uh, the lights are some days just for comfort, just because you're you have a little ambient light around you, but you can't mm. see anything. And maybe you can take your watch and stick it to your face and be able to be able to see how much air you have. Those are the right. days that that really worry me. In fact, that uh, we had one of those days on the show that I was like. All right, Brad, like just screw your stuff on tight. Make sure that you know your air. 
how much we're going down with, what our plan is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little funny saying in the back of uh, the garage. It says, uh, plan the dive, dive the plan. Uh, yeah, and so mm-hmm. I was stuck in the back. And that's, you know, we really we really try to stick to that. We stick to that. Is plan what we're going to dive and dive what we're going to plan. Don't, don't yeah. veer from that. And uh, try to try to eliminate as many of the unknowns as possible. But realistically, some of those days were brutal. Um, current is 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 rough. Um, we uh, we have a little thing we call screwdriver diving. We have these nice big screwdrivers in their bags, and we'll mm-hmm. pull those out, and you'll stick it on the bottom of the river, and that just keeps you from going backwards. Oh wow! Yeah. So <laughs> so you take a screwdriver. And wow. you, you search around with one hand, you switch hands, search around with the other, and then you take the screwdriver and you pick it up and slam it back and pull yourself forward. Wow. And, and you may do that for an hour or whatever, but it's methodical. It's straight line typically, and uh, it's the way to go. Wow. That's incredible. So when you were on the show and you were you were down there and you found well first of all I wanted to show I had a, a couple more pictures here I wanted to show you had the, your some of your crew there Brad Ross and Dallas I'm assuming Dallas they, in the yeah Dallas yeah. right there on the yep mm-hmm. and there's a, yeah so there's Brad and then Ross of course yeah. and then Dallas and yeah you could tell I mean Dallas you know he's your historian and you said he's a diver also right yeah so Dallas is a treasure diver he's been um, He's first of all, he's a remarkable, remarkable individual. He um, he was in the uh, city of Richmond uh, fire department in the seventies, and uh, he had an accident. Was medically retired from his um, his job, and he uh, actually lost vision in one of his eyes as a result oh, wow. from his accident. So oh, wow. not only is he a scuba diver and treasure hunter, he's found probably more items than any person I know. And he's done it all by essentially with just his hands. He said, I'll just go down to the bottom. I just lay there and I just feel. Wow. You know? So in some of these places we go, there are crabs like ready to fist fight you. <laughs> so Dallas oh, sticks man. his hands right into crabs. Bow, you know? Like, oh, oh, shakes them off and keeps going. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's a remarkable guy. Somebody I really look up to. And uh, it's a... It's really amazing. Um, I'm super stoked he was on the show. But, yeah, he's a treasure diver as well. Um, Ross Ross has dabbled in the diving, uh, but he hasn't. we haven't gotten him all the way there. Uh, okay. All right. So you had Maddie out there, and, of course, Maddie gets to run off on all these uh, Beyond Oak Island episodes and, and do his thing. And now Nicola, Nicola, he has had her with him a couple times. They were in uh, North Carolina together uh, out with the guys there. Uh, we had those on the sh- those guys on the show as well uh, from North Carolina out there looking for gold on that old dredge that they found. Mm-hmm, um, super cool. But, yeah, and so in in Maddie, he's been on. He's a friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple times with us, and you saw him in the little intro I had there, and that was on the season uh, kickoff of uh, a Curse of Oak Island uh, back in November. Um, but it's you see his enthusiasm. I mean, he carries us along with this, and and again helping us. He asks the questions that I would be asking if I were there that I'm asking now about taking us through this history of it, history of it all. So, um, you know, getting back to Cornwallis. Okay. So, 
you know, the one thing that caught me on the show that you had mentioned, and I did not know this. And again, this is that education that we get. So he was, he was defeated. Um, and when he got to the, was it Yorktown? Um, he, you know, found out that the French had already, had already uh, defeated the British there and had taken over. They were in the ocean and stuff or coming in. And so he was defeated there, but he didn't, there was a, a ceremony or something. He didn't show up for it and he took off. I mean, what the heck is that? Yeah. So typically, I mean, what's, <laughs> yeah, typically in that period of time, there was a formal surrender, much like Lee and Grant mm. at Appomattox. Mm. They walked, they sat down, they came up with terms of surrender. And um, he was, he wasn't a happy guy. I mean, he was not a happy camper. He had just been beaten by this ragtag group of Americans. He's barricaded himself in his own fortification. Now he's trapped really? on this peninsula. And you have to remember, too, that there's battles still around. They're still raging. There are British warships that are burning in the York River. Wow. You know, while this battle is happening around because the French are lighting these hot cannonballs and sending them into their supply ships. Right. Um, you know, so he's really defeated and he doesn't even show up to the formal surrender. He sends his subordinates to, uh, to, uh, surrender to general, uh, Washington. Wow. So, so and I he mean, just takes off and that's the last they ever saw of him. Well, it wasn't that he, he just did everything in his power to fade into existence, to disappear much like Benedict Arnold, which we know all, all know, you know, Benedict Arnold escaped execution for being a traitor here uh, from, from the revolution. But he kind of – him and Benedict Arnold probably went and played cards for the rest of their lives together because they did their <laughs> yeah. best, yeah, absolutely, um, to, to, to kind of get off the radar. Um, right. And, you know, and to be honest, I'm just not as familiar as I should be as his, post, his post-Virginia life. Right. Um, but, you know, it's just – it just wasn't part of, you know, he did his part, and I want to go find what he, he left yeah. behind. Yeah. You know, the so, Cornwallis name right. isn't just a, a synonymous with American history, but also Canadian history, and specifically with Nova Scotia. Uh, his, uh, his uncle's twin brother uh, named Edward was the founder of Halifax in 1749. I didn't know that. Yeah, so the name Cornwallis is uh, certainly well-connected during that era with the military and the high levels of politics. And mm -hmm. uh, certainly uh, Edward Cornwallis is certainly a very controversial figure in Nova Scotian history mm. as well. Yeah, I didn't I know can, that either. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that either. See, I, I keep learning stuff all the time. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. So... You had the obviously he when when Cornwallis was making his way through here, he was plundering, he was, you know, gathering, you know, wealth. And I would imagine that, you know, he was heading, he was hoping to get to Yorktown so he could get resupplied. Obviously, his men, you would have to be paying them, uh, you know, to to uh for what their service, you know, for their service and everything. So but he's amassing some sort of a, a wealth, at least we figure so. And you know, wherever, I mean, what, what, what made you believe besides the, the copper box, was there anything else that kind of led you to believe that he did in fact have something besides that story in the paper? Well, just his actions, his actions in the store and in local lore, his actions of 
taking and burning homes. Um, you know, we know that, like, like you said, he didn't necessarily pay the British regulars. Um, but I think that you look, you look at any, any army who's ever gone into a theater or a, uh, a battlefield, Mm -hmm. there's always spoils of war. I mean, I can look back all the way from the American civil war, all the way forward, you know, union soldiers brought home belt buckles of Confederate soldiers or, uh, maybe a button. I've seen them, seen them, these items handed down to, uh, the Spanish American war. And then you, you go into world war one where you have the trench art that was brought home from world war one to the, um, you know, the, the memorabilia, even, even my grandfather who's in world war war two brought back, uh, memorabilia of the uh, opposing side, so to speak, um, without worrying about getting copyright or, you know, look down upon YouTube, but right. you know, every soldier does that. Even I've seen it, you know, even currently into um, our modern conflicts. And I think that's a, I don't think that changed at all, but I think what he was doing was, was withholding the really precious stuff. The, this, the hard part I've always had with the story is the half a million dollars worth of diamonds. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Where did that yeah. come into play? That's kind of weird. And I, what I think that is, is that's treasure legend, okay. right? That's oral history passed down, telephone, tell a friend when you get to the very end. It's always, it isn't yep. Johnny has blue shoes. It's Johnny has big, beautiful, bright blue shoes that he got last week from his Uncle Bill. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. That's that's how the yep. stories evolve. And I think right. that something that made it just a little more you know, like interesting story. Yeah. You know, the bullion part. Right. So, so using the, the copper chest part, which we know in New York, there was a copper chest, a copper clad chest filled Mm -hmm. with British currency. We know that was recovered. We know that was from a British general at the time and it was recovered post the American revolution. So we know that this practice happened. It wasn't just something that was made up as part of the right. treasure legend because right. we have precedent that says that they did it. They did it. So yep. now, now the real question is much like the question of Oak Island. What did they do? Mm-hmm. What did they hide? Where did they hide it? And is it, is it, you know, bullion diamonds doesn't make any sense, but I, I think it could be things that were, extremely valuable to colonists whether that was silver or gold yeah exactly i agree yeah and you know it's funny because when you mentioned the you know and they said the copper box i'm thinking well the box not going to be made out of copper it'd probably be a wooden box it's that's cornered and decorated with copper sheeting of some sort and it made me think of what they had just found on oak island here just a couple episodes ago they found uh, a piece of of what uh, Gary found at metal detecting on lot mm-hmm. eight, I believe it was. <clears throat> he found a piece of what was uh, folded copper um, sheeting in in it, looking it had a, a design, a decoration on it. Um, it was hard to make out because it had been folded three times, mm-hmm. um, so it was only you know yay big, but it had been folded over on top of itself, and that's exactly what they said it probably was was decoration on a wooden 
box or a wooden mm-hmm. chest of some sort. So when you said that, that popped into my brain right there at the moment going, yeah, we've seen that. And that's probably exactly what that was that they found in Oak Island. So that makes total sense mm-hmm. because they did decorate those boxes in that way. Um, a couple of the things that you found when you were uh, diving in the dark uh, waters down there and uh, was this piece right here that you guys had said was uh, a part of a, a shoe buckle or a part of a shoe or something? What? what exactly? Yeah, so so that piece right there is actually, um, it's probably about an inch and a half uh, wide. It is broken. Um, that is either a piece of a very small colonial shoe buckle, and that's the buckle that went across the top. What you traditionally think of as what the pilgrims wore for footwear, Yeah. right? Yep. Or... Or it was a uh, knee buckle or breeches buckle, right? So you rolled your pants up and it could have been a decorative buckle off the side. Okay. Um, without having the entire size of the buckle, it's almost, it's difficult to tell, but it's definitely one of the two um, buckles of the colonial period. That mm-hmm. one in particular is extremely fancy. Um, we do find them in colonial occupied sites uh, on land. Mm-hmm. Typically in the water, they're not broken. So there's an interesting question about that. And then it is so fancy. Um, most common folks would have had very plain um, yeah. knee buckles or shoe buckles. Even many of them would have been iron. So they would have had no decoration to them at all. Right. Would this be an indication that this would have been from a soldier or a, com- I mean, not a common person, but maybe a merchant or a soldier, like military or merchant? Um, Is there anything that would tell you one or the other? No, to me, no. Um, What it does tell me is somebody of wealth. Wealth, yeah, exactly. Or high rank of some sort, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, there were were uniform items for the British. Um, You know, the the Continental Army didn't have true regulation use. Um, But you know, this is right in the center of a, of a trade of a, of a very large trade area. And it would make Mm -hmm. sense that somebody with some money had a much more fancy buckle than just the plain commoner buckle. Right. Yeah. You know, and that could have been a British soldier. It could have been a continental soldier. He just came out, you know, used what he had. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Because everybody, you know, a lot of people jumped into it, whether they were a merchant or, you know, somebody of wealth or whether they were just a farmer. Um, they mm-hmm. were all jumping in and helping. So, yeah. And they would just write you. They would take or wear what they had and uh, go fight. Um, that's very interesting. There was uh, then, of course, you found a couple of the uh, musket balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and though those were pretty small. So would they be more like a pistol from a pistol or they think? They- they could have been from a pistol. Um, you know, at that time you had much larger calibers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing it could have been is a lot of, they had sported what they called sporting rifles where they didn't shoot the large oh, 60 okay. or 70 caliber, uh, like brown best balls. So right. they would have been maybe for small game, like okay. for squirrels and rabbits, things like that. Makes sense. Yeah. But again, if you needed something to protect yourself, you weren't really picky as to what you used. Yeah, exactly. Did Thanks you ever measure me. the diameter of the projectiles? I think they they were about the fifty-two <clears throat> caliber. Okay. It could be a buck and ball round. Normally, they could, you can either have a duplex type load where 
two balls or one or back to back, or right. you could have like a, a one solid like slug mixed with buckshot. Mm-hmm. That, that was typically something that the that they use for sporting purposes as well. Yeah, absolutely. The cool part about these, and you can't really see it, but just to the right of the picture, you can see what's called a sprue. And the sprue is where it was actually the bullet was formed in the mold, and then they used uh, clippers and they'd clip it off. So mm-hmm. the bullets were almost never perfectly round. You can see the seam molds. And yeah. highly likely that they were made somewhere close by. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they found, and that's and that's a common, you know, metal detecting, especially in the areas where you guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're going to find a lot of of lead uh, bullet and um, and uh, musket balls and stuff uh, around, obviously. Then there was the the, uh, the button. The, I'm sorry. The nice ahead. part about those is that they're so crudely crudely made. We can pretty much guarantee them to be very very far uh, prior to the American Civil War. Oh, wow. okay, yeah, yeah. Yep, and then you found this, the button. Mm-hmm. And, so beautiful yeah. London import, um, colonial period flat button, um, wonderful design on the back, and um, just you know, absolutely amazing. The cool part, I don't know if you've ever been lucky enough to visit the uh, Smithsonian, the American History I Museum. Um, so they actually have a uh, a uniform that General Cornwallis or President Cornwallis, Cornwall, I'm sorry, Washington, uh, um, getting ahead of myself, uh, <laughs> President Washington wore post post the revolution during his presidency for portraits. Mm-hmm. Now it's extremely small. I mean, compared comparatively, I feel like I'm a giant compared to him. But all of his buttons are flat. They're yeah. all flat. They're all very large, very nice buttons, but they don't have any sort of decoration to them. So the, this button could have been used for a uniform. Wow. Probably an officer's uniform. Yeah. You would think so. It's a much higher quality button. It's all brass. Typically of that period we see, especially with the Continental Army, we see the intertwined USA. Uh, they, were, they were easy to make. Uh, they're a mixture of tin and lead. So you got that really rough pewter, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were much cheaper to make than a solid brass button like this. Right. right. But What's on the other side of this one? It's completely smooth, so okay. it is flat on the front. That's the downside to those things, right? When they're not labeled, when then it doesn't say First Regiment, you know. Right. It's all speculation. This very well could have been a civilian button that was a. You know, uh, just a, a wealthy planner or a trader, you know, yep. maybe even a merchant. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean at all that it was military in any way. But mm-hmm. again, finding these things that you did in that area leads you more to believe that the area was, in fact, a community. That's the thing you're looking for, right? You're looking for relics. You're looking for things that would tell you that the area that you're searching is or was a community of some sort, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's uh that's exactly right. You know, all of the parts to, to put the, the puzzle together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and I know that during the show, I mean, that's what you had talked about is the fact that you were looking for the area where there was supposed to be like a dock or something or a, mm-hmm. a pier of some sort that, you know, and so you were looking for evidence of a community. And when you got to the point where, 
um, you went out the second day. The first day, you found several things like we just mm -hmm. showed. Um, and of course, I'm, I know there was probably a bunch of things that you found that they didn't show us. There was one there was one scene. I think maybe I might even had. Oh, yeah, here it is right here. I think this was at the end of the first day. Um, you know, you in, in and Maddie kept talking about the many things that you found. Well, we saw two or three, but I noticed right here. Um, there's quite a few things sitting there. I mean, you got broken <laughs> bottles and then this big old iron hook and stuff. I saw that and I'm yeah. like, okay, there was a lot more things they found that we didn't get to see on the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, I'm a little sad. We couldn't go through all of it. I will tell you, uh, uh, one of the producers on the show, um, uh, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler, but one of the producers on the show after it came up from a dive and, uh, I'm sure you guys see it. I'm just like fist bumping like so so excited um i found a number of items we felt we had an incredible dive and we really solidified what we had for we found 10 times the number of items as to what was shown on the yeah that's what i figured wow yeah that's and cool. um i got i got you know i was like look i was like i don't know i don't feel like we we gave you enough and you know, I was like, I have one more spot that that is within this travel area mm -hmm. that we want to go scout. We've looked for it a couple of times. We think we've pinned it down and we'd like to go put one tank on the bottom there. And she looked at me and she said, Matt, absolutely not. And I was like, wow. Well, uh, why? She said, I don't have enough time to record all of the stuff I know you guys are going to find. Oh, wow. So, See, there you go. So I was like, all right, well, then I guess you guys are happy. So, yeah, yeah. You must. You think be. that would make perfect B-roll footage for a second follow-up show? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. We can hope for a, a second one. But, you know, I'm just so grateful to be able to, to share my passion and my adventure, you know, yeah. my little piece of the world yeah, with everybody. Yeah, there's a question from one of the uh, one of the people watching. Did you find anything with British broad arrow markings on them? Um. We personally have not. Okay. Yeah. So um, with within the show, uh, we did not. Um, the broad arrow was stamped across everything uh, owned by the uh, crown. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether that was a cannonball, um, I had somebody reach out to me. And they were finding these little bitty ship spikes uh, mm -hmm. on a known British ship. I guess they lived over in England. And all of the ship spikes had broad arrows marked in. Wow, every one of them. Every single one. He had like wow. a whole handful. And I was like, oh, I've never found one of those. But now I have wow. a... Uh, occasionally, we will find some Rev War period uh, broad arrow marked cannonballs. Mm -hmm. um, but that's typically what we've been looking for. Um, we just haven't found it yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here's a, here was another piece here uh let's see this uh this metal piece that uh, uh maddie's checking out there that you brought up and you handed up to him um that was pretty cool and and i think that somebody had said something it might have been dallas had maybe made the comment about something holding uh you know wood together using as a band to hold things is that what you think that was or uh we think that it was either a hinge um okay but because it is broken Mm -hmm. It's it's highly likely that it was used as like some sort of reinforcement strapping mm -hmm. on whatever dock system was there. Yeah. Um, 
it's got the holes in the right places. It's broken. Okay. It, That's it what I was going to ask you next, yeah, about the holes it, in it. Yeah, it would make sense that the other side, had it not been broken, was either tapered in the same fashion or mm-hmm. it possibly could be a hinge. Because the construction of those items are so similar, it's just no way to definitively know. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But and it, then you found the bricks. Yeah. And you said you found wood, too. You found, uh, uh, like, uh, I don't remember what you called them. They were like beams or, or yeah. uh, wood. So, you said you found. You heard, I heard you say that on the show. Yeah, there was a large segment that didn't make it, and we, we um, kind of went through. We did find a large dimensional timber um, mm-hmm. that we, well, we know is from the dock system. Um, and, you know, we, we pulled it up and examined it. It had uh, a series of spikes that went all the way down from where it was attached. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was part of the wood we were talking about. It's just so large, so big, and the preservation of it, the easiest way to preserve an item like that is just to put it right back where you found it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it doesn't, uh, yeah, you bring it up and it's going to deteriorate a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, um, but bricks, yeah, you found quite a, it looked like a hole, like a, a wall down there that had fallen over or something. You found a lot of bricks down there. Yeah, we found a lot of bricks, and the bricks are what we were we were really really a keying into i know it sounds silly that we'd be so excited about a brick but um oh, no, i, I know, think it's great <laughs> yeah you know it's uh it it that that we know because of the destruction that there should have been more more actual items more more pieces of building material than actual finds um it looks like cat's asking can you explain what this site is not a ship right it's a old uh quarry site quarry site so so we don't actually believe it to be a we believe it to be uh let's see are we still cracking pretty good yeah it's crackling a little bit but not too bad all right um we believe it to be i think it's all me um that it was actually the 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 loading site to a to a town or a place of occupation whether that was just a shipyard or whether or not it was uh, a full-blown town with community and school and churches um we like to lean towards the later but we're not really sure um, that's just going to take more mapping and more, more diving, literal diving into the site to, uh, to understand it. Mm-hmm. So Matt, yeah, what have you done since that, since the dive on the show? Um, since the dive on the show, we worked, uh, very hard with the Commonwealth of Virginia to appropriately and correctly report air fines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've since gone back and used what we have to actually start the mapping process just with a very basic hand-drawn map. And then uh, we worked on a number of other sites that we believe are related. Um, we probably will, the weather, to be honest with you, um, hasn't cooperated really well mm. uh, with uh, visibility. Um we dove a couple other sites, including the other dock site that I that I was looking for, um, with some really promising results. Uh, so, and that's in that close proximity. 
what we actually believe is that the treasure would be buried in a landmark situation that mm-hmm. wouldn't have changed, that he right. could have come back and seen the landmark and gone 10 paces this way, start yeah. digging here and pick this up. Um, I don't believe it would have been marked because a marker on any river is generally too obvious for anybody, right? Somebody's going to yeah. get nosy, and especially during that period and that's right. Um, so, so that's kind of the the theory to to work by to start, right? Start with what someone someone would have known before we go into the to the unknown. Um, we are we are going to try to work on getting a magnetometer and ah, improving improving some of our side scan and sonar capabilities right uh, and that's really the focus uh, once the show came and went to improve our technology side versus physically going and doing um yeah so yeah that's, that makes that's sense yeah kind of kind of the <clears throat> the best way right now we have um some friends that are working with some rovs as well and some uh, not on our rivers, but similar rivers of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that makes good sense because of we know that uh, uh, the guys that were um, Matt Hawley, uh, they're out in the work in the Missouri River and they're finding the um, the riverboats that went down. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of riverboats that went down, and they that's exactly what they would go over in a in their. Uh, uh, in a boat and they would do the, the, the magnetometer or, you know, side scan. They're looking for like the boiler and they're going to pick up that boiler. It's going to be a big hit. Um, so that would tell them that they're in the area where they can then, you know, go underwater and, and dive and try to find the actual, um, the actual uh, river boats and stuff like that, that they brought up. That's really a, a very interesting thing. Yeah. I see Rob, Hey Rob, Rob Westrick. He's a, a diver that working uh, out on the 1715 fleet and he's here watching with us tonight. And he said, hello, I wanted to say hi to him. So yeah, they got, so you had a few, uh, a few extra things that you found. There's looks like there's another button there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then the spoon that was uh, folded over it was that, that was kind of interesting. And you told a little story, I think, or maybe it was Brad told a little story about how they would, damage them you know when they would fold it over and bend it like that that's kind mm-hmm. of weird I mean, what... so that was dallas and, and dallas oh, dallas. Okay. dallas in his years um he found a very large quantity in an area that he knew cornwallis was in mm-hmm. and he told me he said matt i didn't even think about it until you started bringing this up to me he said all he got on the bottom and all of the spoons were bent in half he said, he said, we found hundreds of spoons and every single one of them was like somebody took Bennett and threw it in the river. Hmm. And he realized after doing research that the British were there and they were destroying stores. Uh-huh. So some British soldier, soldier was like, it's just not enough to throw it in the river. Let's bend it in half and throw it yeah. in the river. And, um, you know, that's, could that be a part of that? Certainly, it would fit the story. Could it be something else, um, mm-hmm. more utilitarian? Why would you bend the handle of a spoon and a knife in half like that? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense other than just, you know, yeah, simply wanting to destroy it even more so than just throwing it in the river. I mean, that would have been, well, you think somebody's going to go swim down there and go get it or something? Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> weird. Right. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense, but 
Uh, and then I think the last thing that they showed uh, that you pulled up down there was this coin. Um, and uh, at least that's the impression we got that you yeah. uh, found it down there. And then I guess so it's a match. And I was looking at this really closely. And I, I'm assuming this is the one you found. It the is. One left. Yeah. And it's pretty well beaten up and you can barely see. But if you look, you can definitely see the outline of the shape, the shape that's on it. So that that pretty much tells you that it is a coin of that. And you said that's the first minting coin. So that that is called a Liberty Cap, uh, cap? large cent. Yeah, Liberty Cap large cent. So that's supposed to be the uh, Lady Liberty and the cap of free or uh, freedom behind her, mm -hmm. um, and it's supposed to be on a pole. Um, it's interesting. The original bust design was called uh, the very first large cent, like 1792-93, was called a flowing hair large cent. Uh, exceedingly rare. This was the first uh, really successful U.S. coinage mintage. So they made like 100,000 of them or however many they made. Right. And it was the first successful one where they actually successfully minted coins. Uh -huh. Uh, from the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia, um, which is a very interesting thing. Uh, we talked about it. It's it's a question of what is where did the where come from? Did the coin originally look like the one on the right prior, and was it the where of the river that created that, or was the coin in circulation? If the coin was in circulation for that long, it's exciting to me because it it tells the story of a place that was thriving post the American revolution. Right. And, and that's exciting to me because that traces me back to my heritage, to my lineage, to the first, um, first howls that came over um, from England in the 17 or 1640s. So this is cool because this is a coin that was actually truly held by the first generation of Americans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, if that it just doesn't great. make you proud and excited to <laughs> yeah. be Yeah, I would love there. to find something like that. That's amazing. Um, so it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing to pick something up like that and hold it and just kind of kind of think about um, or this what, what it was. Yeah, yeah, or this finding all these, and I'm assuming that these were all kind of some things that you had found. Um, I think this was uh, a picture that Maddie actually brought back with them. Uh, and he was presenting this to Rick and Marty in the war room uh, back uh, back on Oak Island. But, you know, looking at all these different things here, I'm assuming that these must be things that you found that you were telling them about or something. And So the, these items in this picture are from a previous scout of the ah, first okay. location. All right. Um, so this is pretty cool because um, – the items there tell the same story. What you have there is a number of colonial flat buttons, colonial period flat buttons. The item you have at the very top with the little um, slits in it, yep. that is a very early uh, mid-1600s uh, clog clasp. Hmm. Um, okay. Silver as well. The little uh -huh. uh, silver disc there is a Spanish uh, half real. Oh, wow. Um, I think that's 1758. Wow. Um, 
the coin just to the the bottom is a, a Virginia half penny. Okay. Uh, that those coins only date to 1773. Um, in the Charter of Virginia, they were Virginia was chartered to mint its own currency, but didn't get around to it until 1773. Wow. They were held in New York in a uh, vault until 1775, when they were finally distributed among the Commonwealth, just in time for the American Revolution, mm-hmm. and um, that was kind of it. the The item down. Um, with the, the kind of cross era yeah, that right is there? a very, very early British pot pocket watch winder. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I was wondering what it was. It was kind of cool looking. And I thought maybe it's like a broken cross or something, but wow. Yeah. So, a so pocket it's it, watch winder. Yep. So you had the little winding uh, spindles that come down and go straight. And yep. then the little uh, place with the, the circle actually would spin. So you could spin it like that. Oh, okay. Um, and each piece of the of the pocket watch winder has a point, has a purpose on it. It wow. has little dimples on the ends, and those were to reset hands and to wow. adjust the adjust it. They were their early pocket watches or early clocks were very you know primitive, um, mm-hmm. and they took a lot of work to to keep going correctly. So that right. would have been um, that would have been somebody with a significant amount of money. Yeah, exactly. To have a watch. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I so mean, many households didn't even have a clock or anything, and you know, it was that that uh, you know, to even have a clock was meant you had some wealth, yeah, absolutely. And so, we um, we really um, we really focused on the first area really well, and we scouted it a bunch of times, we had an idea of where we wanted to go. But conditions, you just cannot, you cannot tame a wild river and you cannot predict <laughs> the conditions. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, exactly. the, you know, so, so some of the fines are kind of representative of that, you know, mm-hmm. you, whatever rain comes and however muddy the river gets is however muddy it is the day we go to dive. Yep. So then have, you, have you just confined your activities just to the uh, water line or have you done anything on shore as well? So, <clears throat> With our permit, we're uh, we're allowed to go to the mean or average low tide mark uh, because the Commonwealth of Virginia controls the land within that. If we move into anything po- or anything outside of the low t- average low tide mark, we now have to have landowner permission. There are a number of places we do have landowner permission. Um, but there's a number of places that we really would like to search that people just aren't very friendly. Yeah, um, so, you know, we tried to, uh, pre- we, well, we present ourselves in the best possible uh, way, uh, politely. And um, we've had people scream, scream at us uh, while we were in the water that, you know, they think we're stealing something that was theirs, um, you know, while we may be out searching. Um, I have a couple of those videos on my YouTube channel mm. just to just to document um, some of these interactions for for the future. So, you know, I can either make my interaction better or I can just say, hey, it's not always it's all not always peaches and cream. Yeah. 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 I can only imagine. That's bizarre. How could somebody possibly claim that you're stealing something that they didn't even know that was theirs? 
I guess that's maybe no different than someone getting upset at you for taking a parking spot that they wanted. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good analogy. I, yeah. I I can't make a rationale of it. I would like <laughs> to think I I knew knew why people would be upset about that. The cool part about the permit system is if you apply and you put the effort in, you can go do the same thing that I'm doing. And uh, you know, if you're friendly and nice, I'll even help you. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, don't I don't have any problems with that. And right. I, you know, I'm not one to believe that every piece that we find is mine. I believe that it should be shared. It's yep. a, a shared history. Um, and I, I think that, that everyone should be able to have some sort of, um, some sort of tangible reminiscence of the past, you know? Yep. Now, when you're on the water, do you, do you, do you use any kind of like a, a lot of, uh, uh, you go on YouTube and you see a lot of guys searching rivers and they use heavy industrial, uh, grade magnets uh, for pulling st- metal objects off the off the water off the river floors and stuff. Do you get in any doing any of that? Um, I haven't gotten into the magnet stuff uh, a lot. I've gotten into some other kind of crazy stuff. Like most dangerous thing I ever I will uh, to this day the most dangerous thing I've ever done is um, we pulled a 2019. Uh, pick full size pickup truck off the bottom of the river. Oh wow! And yeah, and that was uh, in the middle of a very heavily fished area. There were balls of monofilament fishing line floating around like jellyfish. Oh wow! Um, you get so oh. I haven't gotten into the magnet fishing stuff because I do so much diving. Um, I, I find it incredibly interesting. I would. It sounds crazy, but I would love to go hang out with a Bondi treasure hunting or treasure hunting guy, always throwing magnets in Amsterdam and stuff. But probably <laughs> my my problem would I would put on a scuba tank and go to the bottom and just see it yeah. myself. Yeah, exactly. Wow. You know? Yeah, it's uh yeah, um yeah, there there it is there. Yeah. Arc um uh thinking of a large plantation might be similar to the artifacts of a small town. It could be, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, typically you're gonna. It's gonna be a difference in volume. Um, typically, we do have plantation sites that we go out and metal detect. The plantation was all inclusive. You had to have somebody who did everything on your plantation. Right. You had to have a, a you know a, a blacksmith. You had to have a farrier. You had to have a, you know a, a grist mill. You had to have all of those things within your plantation because you really just didn't want to have to move all this this material around when you Mm -hmm. think about a town you didn't have to have that i could go down to bob's blacksmith shop and get a couple horseshoes put on my horse i didn't have to have the blacksmith after i imported the iron to create the forge you know so right that's very true yeah they're they're going to be very similar um especially if they're occupied the same time period Mm -hmm. it's just um how the sites are laid out and that's kind of what i like to think about Right. So as we start to wrap this up, I wanted to ask too, what's next? What's next for Matt and Matt's team of guys? What's, uh, are you still, you're still working this, I'm assuming. Yeah, we're going to keep working on this. Um, we have some other things kind of in, in the works. Um, I really, uh, after last year, I got to finish up, uh, the, the Jim Tippett story, which I really loved. 
And I, I really enjoy the idea of documenting other treasure hunters, whether that's going out with them or it's just having a sit down conversation like this. I think there's so much that so many people can teach me and I can learn that I want to be, you know, I want to, I want to get all that information and, you yeah. know, share it with the world. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep plugging away on this story. And like they say on Oak Island, if it takes 10 years to find uh, $65 million or yep. whatever's at the bottom, uh, that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll yep. just keep having adventures and having fun until whatever that happens. Yeah. That's awesome. So Prometheus hasn't contacted you with regarding your series. <laughs> I don't know, but if they're watching and they want to do it, I'm, I'm all ears. The fire service is a fantastic career, but um, I would love to take my four-year-old daughter on adventures around the world. Somebody just asked, what's the Jim Tippett story? Uh, Jim Tippett is a, a story. And now Jim is a good friend of mine. He was walking along a Florida beach and uh, recovered a little over half a million dollars in Spanish escudos and actual treasure. Uh, he found four, uh, being from Florida, he found four, eight escudos and about 20 some, two escudos, four wow. and one escudo coins, plus the number of eight reals, one reals, two reals, three reals, four reals, wow. all the. And then the musket balls and shoe buckles. Um, really amazing story. Really cool. Super humble guy. Like one of my favorite things. Yeah. Uh, so. Wow. There you go. Come back, Matt. She's saying right there. That's Wanda saying, come back, Matt. <laughs> you know, so, you know, and you mentioned uh, just a moment ago uh, something that is exactly what I'm doing. It's like I, I and that's why I love to have you guys on with people like yourself, people like Rob Westrick and and Donna McCauley and the folks that have come on this show because you're teaching me something and I want to share that with everybody mm. that's watching. And, and it, it's like, I, yeah, I could just call you up on the phone or I got to meet you or whatever. And you could just tell me, okay, great. But no, I want to share this with as many people as possible. And you're teaching us all something and that's just fantastic. And I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show and doing this because it's exactly it's exactly what we all, I think we all are, are eager to find out. And that's why people are tuning in because they are, they want to know these stories, the Jim Tippett story and stuff like that. I mean, and this whole thing with Cornwallis, I mean, I really, like I said before, I had heard the name. I didn't know anything about the guy. Mm -hmm. And now you're coming on here teaching us what's going on with this guy. And you may end up finding uh, some of the plunder that he took from people. If, and if you can, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's okay. great stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really, um, I, I like to think in the end, you know, it's funny. Uh, I started making my videos because I hope to one day be the old guy that didn't remember his name. And, uh, I hope to maybe, you know, my, my daughter, like sitting, sit me in the corner and, plug my YouTube videos on as many times as she may have seen them over the course of her life. Just be like, yeah. sit there and just watch yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's how, that's how all of this started. And, um, I think the journey, wherever it goes, will be, well, I think will for always be the exciting part, right? Yes, we never, exactly we never right. want to put the stamp on the end. No. So, um, we'll, Absolutely. uh, we'll, we'll hope for that in the future and, you know, see where, 
see where the river takes us. Yeah, pump that a little bit. Okay, you mentioned your YouTube channel, and uh, and I've watched several of the videos of you guys out uh, metal detecting and stuff like that. And I honestly, I mean, if I uh, you you're gonna folks are gonna see me doing the same thing at some point when I get out to Texas, especially. I'm gonna be recording that entire thing out there. And so there's going to be me and Gypsy and Donna and whoever else, you know, out there metal detecting and what we find or don't find or whatever. You know, I, 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 I have a tendency to find a lot of pull tabs. Yeah, I do you know, too. <laughs> I, I get a lot of pull tabs from pop cans. But but uh, but yeah, so your channel is is gone digging. Yeah. So if you want to find me out in the uh, World Wide Web, um, you can go type in gone digging on google and you'll find me on facebook youtube instagram we have a website up uh, if you're interested in need a metal detector you could go over there and pick one up as well um so yeah we're any any place you may uh you may find your daily dose of social media there there we are um but uh, for everybody who's stopping in and saying um saying thank you thank you for hanging out uh, thank, thanks to the Jeff squared and the, uh, the Linda's in the background managing the chat. These things aren't easy to put on. I've, right. I've done a number of them myself. They take time, they take dedication and to have such a professional, like welcoming setup. Uh, you guys, my hat's off to you. Oh, well, so. thank you so much. And speaking of hat, do you sell the hats? I seen you guys on the show. Well, I haven't, <laughs> I got to buy a hat if you have them like, or the shirt. <laughs> Hat, hats are on order. That was been the, the number one standout thing. We're, we're working <laughs> on putting uh, shirts on the website and, and doing all that stuff. But hats were like demand through the roof. So we'll, we're going to get the hoodie too going. I'm wearing, yeah, I'm I got, wearing got my the hoodie. Uh, and I'm wearing let, us know, hoodie. let us know when you get them in. Oh, my yep. somebody's there uh, supporting Virginia right there. So You betcha. I, I love it. I go down. I've been down to Harper's ferry and i'm you know looking into the war some of this had happened and i'm also into the paranormal so mm-hmm. i go on uh normal investigations i got a lot of gear for that too so um and that's a hotbed for that kind of stuff down around there because of all the tragedies that happened but yeah i love i i uh when i was younger i did a uh i worked at uh, olentangy indian caverns in central ohio and I gave tours and I was here, I was like 14, 15 years old and I was giving tours down in the caverns. I loved them. I went here just one weekend. I decided I'm going to go check out, you know, the Ray caverns. And I just took off for the weekend, went down there and visited, went to the tour and bought this, bought the shirt. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So yeah, I'm supporting Virginia today. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys make it down and you want to come treasure hunt and you always have an open invitation oh uh, around. my gosh you know it dude you just said it right there i'm coming i'm gonna uh, come, be there <laughs> come on we have plenty of places we'll take you we'll take you right into the heart of the american civil war or maybe we'll even uh find you a piece of cornwallis treasure who knows oh my gosh oh well okay well it's on record that uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to i'm going to be stopping by and and meeting the rosses out there at uh in north carolina you know at the with a they're working on the dredge i'm going to be i've already been invited there so i am going and he's got a place for me to park my fifth wheel so i'll be there uh and i'm going to swing by and have to see you too so there wow. you go thank you, you for the invitation <laughs> you got a trip now I do. I'm going to make my way right up through there. So, wow, this has been fantastic, Matt. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show uh, and giving us this education and sharing with us your adventure and what you're doing here. And I really applaud 
your 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 ethic on everything you because you mentioned it a few times here tonight talking about how you want to preserve things you want to share this stuff it's out there for everybody and i applaud you for that you're not one of these treasure hunters that's going to keep everything close at heart i'm not going to share anything with anybody you know it's all mine it's mine you have that 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 ethic about you that i i applaud that so thank you so much for that that's that's exactly what we need is more people to share what they find because it's all part of our history right that's so, right that's right well thank you guys yeah, thank you so very much. Jeff Babineau, thanks again for, uh, I know, uh, you know, we didn't, well, you got a few words in there tonight anyway. <laughs> so, but thank you so much for co-hosting and Jan and Linda and everybody. Thank you guys for doing uh, everything you do to make this show possible. I really appreciate it a lot. So we'll let you get back. I know you had a time limit here tonight, but I really do appreciate it. Thanks folks for watching tonight. And like I said earlier, if you like the content of our show, give us a thumbs up. And I will put the link in the description of the show. I didn't have it yet, and I'm going to do it right now. I've got it up on my screen to put in the link to Matt's uh, YouTube channel. you got to go check it out. He's got a lot of videos on there, and I've watched several of them. They're really cool. They have a great time out there collecting history. So check them out. I'll put the link in there for you guys all to check it out later on. Again, thanks for everybody being here tonight. we got more shows coming up next week. Curse of Oak Island, of course, on Wednesday night. Then we've got the guys that are out in uh, Treasures in America, guys that are out searching for the Spanish. Great dudes. Yes, they are. And they're Great coming dudes. on next yeah. night. Yeah. So they'll be with us on Thursday night next week. And then Friday night, we're going to be doing next week's Beyond Oak Island. And then Friday, Saturday, got another, I got four shows to do next week. It's going to be a wild week. But uh, anyway, so stay tuned for all of that, folks. We'll see you next time right here on the Curse of Oak Island Beyond live stream and JT906. Good night, everybody.